That is such a big part of adulthood is stepping into the responsibility, both internally, tending to our selves, multiple selves as best we can, growing that inner parent, and also growing that parent that can take care of the nuts and bolts, the practical stuff, the cleaning up. Welcome to Perennials, a podcast about growing up, getting wise, and trying to live a good life. I'm Victoria Russell. Today's guest is returning for the first time to the podcast since episode one. I'm talking to beloved therapist and author and my beloved aunt, Cheryl Paul. Cheryl is author of the books The Conscious Bride and The Wisdom of Anxiety, and she has many online courses. She's been on the Oprah Winfrey Show. She's helped so many people around the world, especially in the area of anxiety. And she currently lives in Colorado with her husband, my uncle, Dave, and their two kids. And I'm so happy to have her on today to talk about parenting ourselves. This is something that Cheryl talks a lot about in her work, talking about strengthening the part inside of ourselves that is an inner loving adult or an inner loving parent who, as Cheryl says, can be at the helm of the ship and can meet all the different parts of us with love, patience, compassion, steadiness, with a wise mind, with discernment, and can help us to take action in the world that aligns with our values. But also, we talk about the very practical parts of learning to parent yourself, about the very basic skills, sometimes mundane skills, that are part of taking responsibility as an adult. And we talk about the resistance that can come up with that and how to work with that resistance. And I just want to make a note on this before we really jump in, that none of this is about shaming or blaming our parents or people who are currently parents. The point and what you'll hear Cheryl and I talking about, but I really just want to reiterate, is that no single person is perfect. No single person can be everything for either their child or even just for yourself. Adults, parents, everyone has to reach out for support and help and comfort from other people as well. And if we didn't see our parents modeling, you know, certain types of self-care for us, you know, as people have been talking about more and more lately, Self-care is all well and good, but if you're living in a society and a system that is oppressing you in some ways or, you know, not valuing your life and dignity, um, you know, like when I think about how mothers are treated in this society, how people of color are treated, how, um, how people who are living in poverty are treated, people who have health issues. I mean, we don't live in a society that really cares for people in the way that we need it to. So... That's just my disclaimer to say that none of this is about blaming our parents or blaming ourselves for not being everything or being perfect. And this episode is about getting into relationship with the different parts of us and also getting into relationship with with other people in a way that's really nourishing and helps us to strengthen that inner parent or that inner adult. Cheryl, welcome back to Perennials. Mm. Thank you, Victoria. You are the only podcast that I will say yes to. (laughs) I feel very honored. So I've been thinking about this, this topic of parenting ourselves and how it's part of our growing up journey to learn Mm. how to do this or not, I guess. Mm. Um, 
And I, I think I shared with you that I've been listening to all these parenting podcasts. I'm not a parent, but I've just been fascinated by how they inform the way I think about my own past. And then the way that I relate to these parts of myself that come up in the present and parts of other people that I'm close with that come up in the Mm. present. Mm. Um, so this concept of like your inner child and your inner loving adult or your inner parents inner mother and father that you talk about a lot in your work Mm -hmm. has been top of my mind. And first I just thought it's kind of funny to name that like the phrase inner child, I feel like just has this connotation of like hippy dippy, like people make jokes about that Mm -hmm. in your therapy practice with clients. Do you see people having different reactions when you bring up like inner child or inner parent? Such a great question. And to be honest, I still kind of cringe when Mm -hmm. I say inner child myself, Mm -hmm. Um, partially because I was so inundated with it at a young age that when I was still a child and being brought this term inner child, when I was a child and I was supposed to be parenting my own inner child when I was a, (laughs) so I, I, and because I think it, it does kind of reek of like the self-help hippie new age culture, Mm -hmm. which I also cringe at when it's not rooted in enough, um, grounded theory that, um, I rarely actually use the term inner child. Mm. I do use inner parent and I do use like inner mother and inner father. Um, and I don't mean those to just to clarify, um, in any kind of gendered way. I mean them in the Jungian archetypal masculine and feminine way, but I still rarely actually use the term inner child. Um, I'll say young self or I'll say teenage self. Or um, I also think of the term inner child in quotation marks um, more as like a conglomeration almost of inner parts, like a a sad self or a a grieving self or, you know, a 12 year old or a seven year old. And I think when I'm working with clients, when I, um, when they specifically talk about a particular pain or trauma from an, a particular age, then I'll say, well, that's your seven-year-old self. So let's get into relationship with your seven-year-old self. Mm. And it's more specific than just saying this general inner child. I also like to encourage people to be um, in relationship to the emotions around that particular experience. And so to be with your grieving self or your jealous self, um, I find to be in some ways more specific and more helpful than the general overarching term inner child. Mm. I'm wondering actually, if you could give some context of your approach, your depth psychology approach of being aware of the different parts of ourselves in general, which you kind of touched on, but maybe for someone, if they're unfamiliar with that approach. Mm -hmm. Yes. So So it's Jungian, it's IFS, internal family systems theory. Um, It's almost almost any approach that has a depth awareness that's talk when we're talking about the unconscious, right? Not not just our thoughts and behavior, but we're going deep into the unconscious. 
will recognize that we have these different parts in Buddhism and Pema Chodron. And right, it's this idea of, of welcoming all these different parts of ourselves to, into the room, opening the door um, to our, our jealous part, our anxious part, our judgmental part, our guilty part, so that they become in some ways characters that we can then relate to. And that's really, it's a core premise of how I work is that when we are in relationship to these different parts of ourselves with the inner parent or the wise self or whatever term we want to use at the head of the table, um, then we have a lot more space and freedom to work with them as opposed to being fused with all of these different parts, in which case the different parts are usually at the head of the table and there's no parent to be found. And so just like in an actual family, if there's no parent who has a solid, a solid sense of self, who has enough self-trust that can attend to the children, that can be a true parent to the children, by which I mean the children aren't there to fulfill the parents' needs, to fulfill their dreams, to um, heal their wounds, to fill in their empty places, but that the parent is there to help the child grow into themselves. Um, then there's, there's some sense of, of order um, and containment in an, in an external family. And so it's the same on the inner realm, right? If there's no inner parent, it's kind of internal mayhem, right? Chaos, in the inner realm where the jealous self sidles in and then the, and then the judgmental part comes in and say, why are you so jealous? You're such a bad person. And then there's all these voices. And so we have these voices. We all have these and we just call them characters so that we can start to sort of contain them in that way and visualize them in that way. Um, but what we don't always have is a way to relate to them. And then they just relate to us and pretty much run the show. Mm. I'm curious if there's just a few traits or practices of a strong inner parent or strong loving adult. So um, for the inner mother, and again, as I said in the beginning, it's not gender-based, it's, it's energy-based. So we all have masculine and feminine. I know people have, people have brought to my attention that they don't like those terms, inner mother and inner father. And, and I, I take that, I understand that. But for now, um, the inner mother being the one who um, really focuses on compassion and curiosity and that place of being and total acceptance. So when we think of sort of the great mother archetype um, in its highest form, it's that place of loving ourselves, accepting ourselves, bringing compassion to ourselves and the totality of our being, the light and the dark, right? The, the beauty and the messiness and even finding beauty in the messiness that it's that we start to view ourselves through this very accepting lens um, and again, I just feel like I want to highlight because of the language that, you know, my husband, your uncle is, <laughs> is, you know, embodies that so beautifully. So it's really not about male or female. It's not about gender. 
Um, he's in his essence, one of the most accepting, compassionate people I've ever known. Um, and then in the sort of the inner father, the skills or the traits um, would be more about boundary setting and taking action. Um, so this might show up more in relationships in you know, relationships with perhaps family that are not the healthiest or dynamics with family that, that need to be boundaried. Um, conversations that you don't want to be having anymore are just some examples of how that inner father shows up to say yes to this and no to that. So the inner masculine is more discerning. Um, that masculine is about taking action in the world. And so bringing that beautiful creative um, project or piece that you have honed in that very feminine place and moving that out and taking that risk to share it with the world, sending out that resume, sending out that application. Um, and then, you know, well, it's a whole other conversation, which has been coming up so much lately, I think because of COVID, but it's around the work, the work and career conversation about there's a dance there between mm. being able to set those boundaries and also having a safe enough space to bring your soul, your full mm. self into, you know, that's a whole parenting piece about how we show up in the work world. So those are some traits that I, that I talk about a lot when I talk about the inner parent. There are certain telltale signs for me of when maybe like a younger part is coming up or is activated in that I often have a sense of like not being in control or feeling very overwhelmed um, by a feeling like, oh, I'm so angry right now. And I just slammed the door or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm wondering if you could speak to maybe like, what are some tell telltale signs that a younger part of you is coming up and there, and maybe is flailing a little bit. <laughs> yes. And it's interesting. We can call it a younger part, but what I think we mean, and tell me if this is what you mean or not, is that it's a part that hasn't been parented enough mm. because we feel anger as adults. We feel jealous, right? We feel frustrated. We feel disappointed, lonely, sad, excited, exhilarated. We have so many emotions, but when those emotions weren't parented growing up, then it's like they get stuck, right? They, they get, they stagnate in that young place where they're not able. So it feels like a young feeling because it feels like I'm all alone with this feeling. Mm -hmm. I didn't have anybody in my earlier years to be with me in that big feeling of anger or frustration or disappointment. Right. And so it's like this arrested development place. Mm -hmm. And that is part of the reparenting is learning to, Oh, recognize there's that young, feels like a young feeling. And it is a young feeling because it hasn't received the attention that it's needing. Mm -hmm. So to recognize it, and it's so great that you're recognizing it in your body. Oh, there's that feeling. It feels young. I feel overwhelmed. And then to bring in and to grow 
that inner parent, which we all have, but interestingly can also be kind of a young place as well, because we haven't spent a lot of time growing that muscle of the inner parent, even though we all have it. It's not necessarily at our chronological age. Mm. I could maybe picture someone listening and thinking, oh, but like I had good parents, you know, like an immediate, just kind of, no, I had some, I had someone there with me, you know, my parents were there, but I've also heard everyone probably has some areas where they want to learn to parent themselves in a different way, or just learn to relate to parts of themselves in a different way. So I'm just wondering if you could speak to that. Yes. And it is a really common response. My parents were totally there for me. Yeah. And I say, well, that's great. (laughs) You're so lucky. (laughs) And let's parse that apart. Let's unpack that a little bit. Um, It's unlikely that your parents really knew how to guide you through all of your big emotions because that awareness just really wasn't around until like, I don't, fairly recently, it's in the past 20 years or so that um, our awareness of emotional intelligence has skyrocketed and has hit the mainstream consciousness, in ter- especially in terms of our child raising practices. So it's not likely that parents a generation ago even were able to truly be there for the range of emotional experience. But if they were, that's fantastic and you're super lucky. But it's even less likely that your parents were able to be there for their own emotional experience. And let me just say, reparenting isn't just about emotions. So when I talk about the four realms, it's how are you parenting your physical body? How are you tending to your sleep needs and your food needs and your your need for movement, healthy movement? How are you tending to, yes, the emotional realm? How are you tending to your thoughts, what you let into your mental sphere? How do you safeguard your mental space? And of course, now it's harder than ever with our access to screens, but what we watch, what we ingest, what we read, what we click on, that's all the mental realm. And how do you work with your thoughts? How do you respond to your thoughts? Do you understand that just because you have a thought that doesn't mean it's true? Most people aren't raised with that very basic understanding of thoughts. So there's that realm. And then there's the spiritual realm and the realm of soul. How are you filling your inner well? How are you tending to, to, our spiritual needs, which, you know, as you and I have discussed many times is tricky these days, especially when you've grown up in organized religion and you're pulling back from that. And, but it still carries a lot of trauma and pain and fear. And so it's very hard to know how do I meet my spiritual needs in a way that actually feels nourishing and doesn't play into that fear-based transactional Um, relationship that many people were raised in. So to me, reparenting is in all four realms of self, which all have subsets, like in the emotional realm is our need for connection, our need for healthy friendships, what happens in our romantic relationships. Um, How do we handle difficult family members? So the, the whole realm of relationships is huge, right? 
So um, you could have had really healthy, loving parents, and that's so wonderful. And yet what you're also, what you were also raised in is not just how they met your emotional needs, but how they were meeting their own and their own physical needs. How were they in their cognitive and spiritual? How were they tending and parenting themselves in a loving way? And in some ways we now know um, that has a greater impact on a child's ability to meet their own needs and regulate is what they see, what they see modeled rather than what was actually directly given to them. I mean, both are so important. But what we see modeled is, is, is what we emulate. Because that's how we know how to do something is by seeing someone do it. Like we, that's exactly it. We learn by watching. That's how we learn best. It's not that we can't learn in other ways, but that's why, you know, what we've lost because we're so isolated, we no longer live in communities that if you don't see one or two people that you're living with, caregivers, tending and taking care of themselves, you're, it's like, well, gosh, then I'm really, I don't have any other role models to look to. Whereas if there was like an aunt next door who was really great at taking care of her physical body, like you might then absorb through osmosis some of that behavior. Yeah as you just kind of mentioned the part about like community, I think all of this, like, I'm also thinking about people who are parents listening to this and how much responsibility and like guilt parents, so many parents, especially mothers, I think already feel about not like being everything and doing everything. Yes. And it's like, as you always talk about, I mean, no one person, whether that's your partner or your parent or whoever, no one person can be everything or do everything like that. And it's trying to do that. That is like so destructive, right. For ourselves and our relationships. So I just wanted to name that as well, because it was never meant to be put all on like one person's shoulders, right. To model every single thing for your kid or be everything for someone. It's an impossible expectation and demand that nobody can meet. And I'm so glad you're highlighting that Um, because I can imagine parents listening and saying, my God, so I'm supposed to know how to do all of that in all four realms and model that for my kid and be like this all put together person. No, no, I'm not that way. My husband's not that way. You know, we, we fall short all the time because we're human beings and it was never meant to be on one or two people, the task, you know, that's why that phrase hit so hard. It takes a village to raise a child. That's why it struck a chord because we all know deep in ourselves that that is true. And so we do the best we can, but honestly, I think one of the greatest things we can role model for our kids and for ourselves is self-compassion. Um, and to name and recognize the times that we mess up, the ways that we're failing our kids, <laughs> you know, the fact that um, we can't be all things for our children. And sometimes just naming that is enough to, to get them across those, the thresholds and to give them enough of the good stuff. So yes, it would be wonderful to, to have the ideal of being in community, having our kids exposed to all kinds of different 
adults and role models. But, you know, to be honest, being in community also comes with a lot of pain and a lot of often boundary (laughs) violations and difficulty managing all these different personalities. And and so we have to be careful there that we do. I always have to be careful that I don't paint some idyllic fantasy in my mind of what the village, you know, (laughs) would give us. And to say, well, this is where we're at. We don't live in a village. You know, we're, we're living in isolation for the most part, um, even, you know, especially now with COVID. But, but to model um, that it's okay to be incredibly imperfect, that it's okay not to have all the answers. It's okay to be learning alongside of our kids. It's okay to be reparenting ourselves while we're parenting our kids. In fact, I think it's more than okay. I think it's an incredible gift when children see parents working on themselves. Yeah, I think this speaks to the that book Mindset by Carol Dweck that you talk about and that you gave me a copy of I read years ago, Mm -hmm. um, like the growth versus fixed mindset. I feel like I had this very fixed mindset of like, I shouldn't let people know what I don't know, Mm -hmm. or I shouldn't, I don't know. I just had this reticence. I felt like I should just know things or be able to figure them out on my own. Mm -hmm. And now it's like, sometimes I all just turn to a friend and say, how did you cook that? Or how do you like, I don't know anything about planting vegetables or whatever it might be. And that's, it's a way to connect with other people too. And you kind of get to build your own little, you know, even if it's a little bit piecemeal, (laughs) you can build your, your palette of friends who bring these different gifts and strengths. Right. Yes. Yes. I love that. And it is one of the great things about being an adult. And again, we can be um, modeling that for our kids reaching out and saying, I don't know how to do this. Can you teach me? Mm-hmm. Um, one, of, one of the best things I ever did, and I love my young self so much for doing this, is when I was graduating from college and I was so lost and I was 21 and I had had that panic attack and my whole world was just like, I have no idea who I am, what I'm doing, where I'm going, what I want to do with my life, like nothing. And um, I had always wanted to learn more about cooking and gardening. And I asked my grandparents um, who I grew up with and I was very close to, if I could come and live with them, they had a little like separate apartment underneath their house that they rented out. And I asked if I could come and live with them for a year and learn about cooking and gardening. Mm. And, and of course they said yes. And, and I did. Um, And it was just this amazing liminal year where I was still very lost, but at least I had these anchors of being able to learn. I didn't grow up in my, in my original house with my parents cooking, seeing cooking or gardening really happening. Um, and I longed for it. And so that is part of the reparenting also. And I I love that you're bringing that in that as adults, we can look at our deficits or look at the places where we didn't get met or the skills, just skills, right. That we didn't learn and reach out and say, Hey, can you teach me this? I love hearing that about you moving in with your grandparents and learning about those things. I feel like that just shows like 
what good instincts you've always had, because Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people grow up pretty divorced from very basic things like that now. Yeah. And, and it doesn't make you feel, and I think, I think a lot of people also grow up with this. I don't know the, the, that kind of fixed mindset of like, well, I was supposed to know this by now. I shouldn't ask anyone, Mm -hmm. you know, like it's embarrassing to, to tell someone I don't know how to do something or to ask, I need to put on like a strong front. I feel like that's pretty pervasive in our culture is putting on like a strong front and it's vulnerable to say, I don't know this. Can you help me? Yes. It's so vulnerable. And yes, that is very much prevalent in our culture these days, that this idea, this myth, I should know more than I do. I should have this figured out by now. Mm-hmm. Um, I should have all those ducks in a row. Um, and I think about those basic skills. And I've thought about this for years and years, how there's been something lost in recent decades around those base. Like there used to be home ec, right? Mm-hmm. Where you would learn you mean, it was so sexist and like gender awful, but you know, the boys would go learn auto mechanics and the girls would learn how to cook and sew. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's something very empowering about knowing how to change a tire on your car. We should all be learning those basic skills. And so in addition to those four realms of physical, emotional, cognitive, spiritual, Right. There's, there's this other just sort of behavioral basic skill set of living that I think a lot of us don't grow around money. Like let's, just, you know, that could be a whole, well, you did do a whole podcast about money and teaching our kids about money. And I mean, nobody taught me, I, I absorb little bits here and there, but there's, it's, we deal with money every single day. And so I think it creates just this, um, undercurrent of insecurity when you don't have those basic building blocks in place of cooking, gardening, car, cleaning. So much of growing up and parenting ourselves is very practical. And it's, I think for me, the biggest thing is like what you just said about maybe the most important thing as an actual parent is having and modeling compassion I think it kind of goes across the board for whatever you're seeing in yourself that you're like, okay, I want to grow into this. I want to learn about this. I want to build this skill, whether that's an emotional skill or, or cleaning the bathroom. Like, I I think that one of the biggest things that gets in the way is just that shame that I was supposed to know this already, or I can't do it, or I'm embarrassed to ask or whatever that might be, or that feeling of I'm too old now, or yes, whatever it is. And and that's actually where we can like borrow from the part, like something that a lot of children have at some point when they're young, which is more of just that, that insatiable curiosity. And like, I want to try, mm-hmm. um, because I was thinking about how sometimes like if I am dealing with higher levels of anxiety or depression, little things can feel so difficult, like and don't sound fun. Like if my boyfriend, Martin is like, let's, you know, bake cookies or make banana bread. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to, you know, deal with the mess that we'll have to clean up. And I don't want to get messy and whatever it might be. And I, 
I think back to like, when I was five years old, if my mom had said, do you want to bake cookies with me? Mm. My response would have been like, this is the best day of my life. Like I want to get in that batter, you know, (laughs) even though I didn't know how to do it, you know, but I was just, I would have been curious. I would have been excited. I would have been like focused on the play and the pleasure and the you know, delight of that activity as opposed to like, oh, but I don't really do that very well. They're probably not going to come out good. I don't want to have to clean up <laughs> like everything's feeling like a chore as opposed to a fun activity. Yes. I think though, part of the bummer of being an adult is that there is that increased level of responsibility. Yeah, it's true. And as a kid, you weren't going to be the one that had to clean up. That's so true. That's so true. (laughs) So you could just do the fun part, make a big, messy batter, kitchen, hands, messy, all of it. And someone else (laughs) was probably going to do the cleaning up. Um, But that is such a big part of adulthood, right? And growing up is that sense of, is stepping into the responsibility, Mm. both internally on the inner level, in those four realms, right? Tending to our selves, multiple selves as best we can, growing that inner parent and also growing that parent that can take care of the nuts and bolts, the practical stuff, the cleaning up, the stuff that's not so fun and automatic. I mean, some people love cleaning. I am not one of those people. (laughs) So to me, I do get overwhelmed by the whole gestalt of the task, which includes the giant mess Mm. afterwards, right? And I can get overwhelmed like the banana bread. And I talk about this in my nine month course and in the section on, on cook on food and physical body and cooking is my own resistance to, um, things like cooking and baking and how that it always feels so overwhelming. And I think because I didn't grow up watching it happen. Yeah. And so it's, that's not a natural template inside of me. It's gotten so much easier over the years of parenting my kids because, you know, I I can't just have cereal and milk for dinner every night. (laughs) Like like maybe in my twenties, you know, that was fine. But that's not going to fly when you have kids or I don't want that for my kids. Um, and so it's a habit that has gotten much easier. But, I, but it's still like taking it one, breaking it down into manageable steps. First do this, then do this, then do this. That's how I feel about cooking. First take out um, all of the ingredients, then take out whatever appliance, you know, Cuisinart, whatever things I'm going to need. Right. And taking it one step at a time helps my overwhelm to the point where now I don't really have to break it down into step. But for for many years, I really did. Otherwise, it just wouldn't happen. And the resistance, which is also sometimes overwhelm, would run the show. Right. And so there's an example of of a part, a character. Right. And resistance is a huge one for everybody in whatever realm of their life. It can show up anywhere. And resistance can sidle into that driver's seat, into the head of the table. And then inner parent, you know, if inner parent jumps ship, well, resistance is, is, 
is in charge now. This is why I love you. I'm so glad that you brought that up because it's true. It's true that it's both. And like, that's the hard part of being an adult that it's the good part and the hard part. The good part is like, you get to make that choice of whether you want to bake or whatever. Like you have more control and more choice, but at the same time, you still have all of that responsibility and the parts that are not fun or not as easy. And I do think that anything that you didn't really have a direct model for, like you just said, it's just, it takes, like for me, it's just like having patience with the fact that it's going to take a probably a long time or it's going to take a while for you to build that muscle and for it to feel more natural and that you just kind of have to keep doing it and trust that it will become more natural the more that you practice. Absolutely. In fact, it was just yesterday. It's funny that we're having this conversation where I was making um, these brownies they're healthy brownies, but (laughs) Um, for Everest, Asher refuses them because they're not authentic. (laughs) They're not real brownies. He he literally will not eat them, but Everest will. And I was making them yesterday and I was reflecting on how easy it was that I didn't really think, I don't really think twice anymore. When I make, I just whip up these, you know, really yummy for him. Um, treats and foods and, and, you know, nutrient dense and all these things. Um, and I don't have to, th- I don't have to think it through too much. Resistance doesn't come in too much. And it was a really great feeling. I'm 16 and a half years into parenting. So it really has taken quite a long time. Whereas other things where I did see modeled like exercise, healthy movement, I mean, just eating well in and of itself, even if the cooking part is hard, but just the, the value of eating well, I did seem, I, I was drenched in that. Um, and so those things come a lot more naturally. And, and you know, so it's, it's like as, as best we can to model those things for our kids as we are learning them for ourselves while also holding that caveat of we're not, we can't do everything as well as we would like to, we can't transfer all of the skills to our kids, emotional and otherwise, um, because, you know, we're just learning so many of them ourselves. Yeah. And some of it, I feel like sometimes is being willing. If you tend towards perfectionism, like I do being willing to release the ideal for something that is in between not even trying and perfect. So, you know, like when it comes to cooking or cleaning or any of these very logistical things, and then even in terms of the emotional stuff, like Mm -hmm. you might have a picture in your head of the ideal adult version of you who just like does everything right. However you define that in your mind. And then you become really paralyzed or even resentful, like of that, of that perfect person that you're trying to be. Um, and that you're not just there, you're not just that person. So I feel like some of it is also just kind of releasing 
this idea of like having a before and after version of yourself in your head. Like, well, once I'm like a real adult, this is what I'm going to look like. Mm -hmm. And anything else is just not good enough. Mm, And instead being like, I'm in process and no one's perfect. And sometimes you got to do something that's good enough. That's a huge piece, Victoria, as you know, for, you know, the audience that tends to find their way to me are, I can probably say without a doubt, all perfectionists. (laughs) And so there's that belief or that resistance or that character that comes up and says, if I can't do it perfectly, then I won't do it at all. Yeah. And um, that's, that's where that growth mindset comes in. That's where that mindset of learning and experimenting comes in. That's where giving yourself full permission to fall flat on your face and mess up and do it half-assed and not do it perfectly, but just to try. That's where seeing life as an experiment comes in. Um, and all of these much more compassionate and freeing mindsets that are antidotes to that perfectionist that will run the show if, if we let her or him. Yeah. One of the big things for me is cooking and, um, for like probably the first, I don't know, couple of years in my twenties, when I first started actually trying to cook, like I would just always overcook stuff because I was so, because let's add let's add OCD and anxiety into this. Right. So I have this fear of undercooking meat, of handling raw meat, things like that. So then Mm -hmm. I would just like cook the crap out of it, overcook it. Um, and then I'd always be like, Oh, I overcooked it. It doesn't taste good. I don't know how to like get the perfect amount cooked. Right. I don't want it to be gross and undercooked. I don't want it to be overcooked. And it just took like a couple years of like, not making the best food (laughs) to start Mm -hmm. to learn about, Mm -hmm. you know, the stove that I was using and the food that I was using and, oh, low and slow and having patience. Like, okay, I see like, and, and talking to my older sister or a friend Mm -hmm. and having them say things like, well, you can always cook it more, but you can't cook it. You can't, (laughs) you can't take back what you've done, but you can always cook it more. So try try turning the heat down a little bit, you know, it just took those things. And now it's not, I'm not as intimidated by it, but Mm. I just had to like hang tight Mm. in some of those years of just learning, you know? Yes. Just learning. And it's all learning. And it's, it's the story that I often share and I share it in my trust yourself course around writing And people have a lot of blocks around writing or really any creative expression. And I had so many blocks that would come up when I first started writing a lot more as a teenager and then in college. And and I, by chance, landed on this amazing hack, which was before I sat down to write, every single time I would say, self, you have full permission to write the worst paper you've ever written in your entire life. (laughs) And so I was like, okay, cool. And then I would just dive in. Of course, it never would be the worst paper I'd ever written in my entire life, you know, but giving myself permission to fail, permission to mess up, permission to literally be the worst thing I'd ever written. Then all pressure is off. Creative gates can open up. And so it's the same thing. It's like, it's whatever the thing is, 
that you're trying to work with. It's to know you're going to mess up a lot, but eventually you're going to get it. And even if you don't mess up, giving yourself permission to mess up mm-hmm. is so liberating. Mm-hmm. Well, if I can mess up, then who cares? I can do anything. Thank you so much for listening to the Perennials podcast. I'm Victoria Russell. I'll be sharing part two of my conversation with Cheryl on the podcast next week. So hit subscribe if you want to get that update automatically. You can also follow along on Instagram at Perennials Podcast or shoot me an email at perennialspodcast at gmail.com. You can find Cheryl on her website, Conscious Transitions, or on Instagram at Wisdom of Anxiety. The song you're hearing now is I Orbit a Moon by Paul Finn.